Verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Now, at face value, most of us understand what he means. Here's how we read it, and here's how we understand it, and it's a correct understanding and correct interpretation. If you really love me, then you will obey me. Right? We understand that, don't we? For the sake of our understanding, let's, let's, let's break down this simple verse. If. He begins with if. That means it's conditional. It's a choice. It's optional. That means and conveys that not everyone will choose to love him. But if you love me, he said, if ye, if you, ye in our King James, if you, if you love me. Not only is this optional, but we realize it's personal. If you love me, you will obey. If you love me, the word love there is the highest form of love in the Greek language. It's agape. Agapao is the term. Agape. You understand that to be the highest degree of love that you could have for anybody. It's God-like love. It's a superior love. It's a priority love. In other words, Jesus said, if you really have that agape love for me like I have for you, then you will do what I say. You will obey my commandments. If you love me, keep. Keep. The word keep means to do, to observe. It's an observable love. It's a, if I could say it this way, it's a provable love. That you'll be able to demonstrate your love by this keeping of his commandment. And then he says commandments. Not statements necessarily, not suggestions, but commandments. Not just his observations about life. Do you realize Jesus made statements that were commandments that were, if I could say it this way, you understand what I mean, that were obligatory on the lives of Christians. In other words, we're obligated to obey and to do what he said. They weren't just suggestions. It wasn't just Jesus saying, you know, it'd be nice if you chose to live this way. It'd be good and the world would be a better place if... No, Jesus is very emphatic. Jesus' words, listen carefully, carry the weight of God's word because Jesus Christ is God. Jesus' words carry the very authority of God himself. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep every bit and... Every piece of instruction that I have ever given and will ever give. If you love me, you will be, here's a good word, serious about obedience to me. Question this morning, how serious is your obedience? So I want to ask you something. Just this, what do you think is the main emphasis, the main priority of the verse? If we were to break it down, because it seems like you could say, well, is it the first part where Jesus says, if you love me, or is it the second part where he says, then you will obey my commands? What's most important here? Is it loving Jesus or is it obeying Jesus? Where's the emphasis? 
Well, it's interesting, one writer, C.K. Barrett, said that already in this gospel, Jesus has both demonstrated and declared his love for his disciples. Now, for the first time in the gospel, Jesus addresses their love for him. 1 John 5, 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. In other words, his commandments are not burdensome. I'd like to submit to you today that the main thrust of the verse is loving Jesus. And we're going to talk about it. And hopefully understand together that that's the main thrust. That's why the title of my sermon today is very simple. Loving Jesus. He talks here about loving Jesus. So I want to give you three observations and applications quickly this morning. I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to lean in and let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Now, we know there's no greater foundational truth taught in all of the Bible than loving God. It's the first commandment, remember? It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord thy God. All your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything about us, we are to love the Lord. Here he's saying, if you really love me, then that love will look like this. That love will be demonstrated out like this. So let me just share with you from the text three applications, three observations. First of all, loving Jesus is reflexive of the new birth. In other words, let me say it this way. Loving Jesus is impossible to do without the new birth. Loving Jesus is impossible to do in our own strength. Loving Jesus is impossible to do unless we have been made new creatures at salvation. Listen carefully. Lost people may appreciate Jesus, but they don't love Jesus in the agape way. Religious people may admire Jesus and study Jesus, but religious people that are lost and unsaved don't love Jesus in the agape way. Only redeemed people do. Only transformed people love Jesus this way. It's impossible to love Jesus, to love God in the way that he's worthy of if you are not a Christian, if you've never been born again, if you've never experienced the new birth. Now, why is that? Because the natural man, the carnal man, the depraved man, doesn't have that capability. It's not part of our nature to love God. Only somebody who has truly been regenerated and redeemed can love Jesus like this. You see, at one time, as lost people, we had spiritual taste buds, one writer said, that interpreted Jesus as bland. He's boring. He's restrictive. I don't necessarily 
like Jesus. I don't love Jesus. I don't even want Jesus. He's, he doesn't taste appealing to me. I don't want him in my, I don't want him to be the Lord of my life. I don't want him calling the shots. I don't care about obeying him because he really just doesn't do much for me. I appreciate him. Appreciate him dying for me, but I really don't necessarily want him. I admire him from a distance, but I really can't say that I love him. He doesn't taste all that great to me. And remember what Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 1 Peter 2, 3, it says, you now have tasted that the Lord is gracious or the Lord is good. But not everybody has. Lost people don't have the capacity to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because their sin, listen, you say, man, you're, no, 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 friend, I'm not being harsh. I promise you, I'm just preaching truth. To a lost person, their sin tastes better than Jesus does. Right? They're, they're lost. They're unredeemed, unregenerated. They're governed by their depravity, their depraved nature. But to a saved man, to a saved woman, to a saved teenager, to a saved college student, to a saved child, to a saved person, it's altogether different because, listen, our spiritual taste buds were transformed. Right? The things that I used to not have an appetite for, I have an appetite for now. Can I get a witness? The things that used to bore me now make me come alive. The things that I used to run from and used to shun and used to not understand and used to not appreciate, now I love. I can't live without. I don't want to live without. At one time, I didn't, I didn't even understand Jesus. I didn't want Jesus. I didn't. But God, when he transformed me, he changed my taste buds. Now he is good. He is Savory. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, I feel bad for you, friend, if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, Christian, I I really don't see what the big deal is about Jesus. Oh, friend, listen carefully. If you don't know yet what the big deal is about Jesus, my friend, you've never been born again. If you can't understand why I'm passionate and other people around you are passionate about the Son of God, friend, it's because I say this lovingly, but you've never met Him. You've never been born again. He changed my taste buds. So now, because of true conversion, true salvation, we're now able to accurately, appropriately taste and see that He's good. We've now been awakened to His infinite value. We treasure Him above everything. Listen to what one writer said. So what is this love for Jesus? Listen, it's lengthy, but listen. What is this love for Jesus that gives rise to keeping the commandments of Jesus? 
Jesus has no defects. Jesus has no demerits. Jesus has no wrong. Therefore, we cannot and dare not love him graciously the way God loves us. We dare not love him with a love that overcomes some fault or ugliness or sin in Jesus to treat him well. No. Love for Jesus is entirely deserved. He is infinitely worthy of being loved. He is perfectly lovely. Can I get an amen right there? He is loved not in spite of what he is, but because of all that he is. Which means that love for Jesus is a response to beauty and greatness and glory. It's not a response to need, not a response to weakness, not a response to defect. Which means that love for Jesus is pleasurable. It's desiring him because he is infinitely desirable. It's admiring him because he's infinitely admirable. It's treasuring him because he is infinitely valuable. It's enjoying him because he's infinitely enjoyable. It's being satisfied with all that he is because he is infinitely satisfying. It's the reflex of the awkward or I'm sorry, it's the reflex of the awakened and newborn human soul to all that is true and good and beautiful embodied in Jesus. In short, loving Jesus is not just a matter of doing excellent things. It's a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. Jesus says doing excellent things, keeping my word, is the result of delighting in the excellent Savior. In other words, friend, we don't love Him graciously. We love Him logically. It's not a gracious act to love Jesus. It's a reasonable act to love Jesus. So the question is this morning, is Jesus really satisfying to your soul? Is he the one you crave? Is he the one that satisfies you? You see, Christianity is not about what we are doing. It is first and foremost about what he has done for us. Loving Jesus is not a list of things to do. So why is it that so many of us struggle with genuine love and simple obedience. Why is it? Because we do, right? Let's go ahead and be honest. So many Christians struggle. They at least have this inward struggle where we struggle with really loving Jesus like this. Listen to the words of Joseph Stowell. Listen to what he said. Genuine grace-born love for Christ is rare. Too often we live out our faith in the burdensome, boring world of duty and habit. Choked by busy lives and creature comforts, it is easy for us to let the glowing embers of a once vibrant love slowly dwindle, leaving us with a barren religious routine that is loveless and mundane. Oh, my dear precious friend, did you hear those words? I feel sorry for any believer who lives their life for Christ that way. And yet I know that feeling.
because I've been there, regrettably, regrettably. But I want to say this to you, friend. It does not have to be that way. And it need not be that way. And this shouldn't characterize the normal Christian life. Jesus redeemed us. He saved us. And he put that taste in our mouth to where we love him (laughs) because he first loved us. And when he transformed us and enabled us to see how wonderful and good he is, we don't have to live or be driven by a smoke of a spiritual fire that has long since gone out. But that spiritual fire and passion and love for Jesus can burn bright every single day if we taste and see that he is good. I want to ask you this as we close today. Since we all know that already, how are we doing at that? What's the level of your spiritual fire at in love for Christ today? Are we doing what we already know? What is it that's really keeping us from clearly seeing that he is good, from clearly savoring the fact that he is good, and from showing the greatness of Jesus in our lives? What is it? Friend, can I submit one or two thoughts to you? Can I say that I really believe that a big part of it is is we don't take time to be holy? And what I mean by that is we don't take time to meet with him. We don't take time to meditate. We don't take time to pray. We don't take time to read. We don't take time for quiet time. We don't take time for our devotions. We don't take time. We don't make time for Christ. It's hard to see and savor and show the greatness and magnitude and awesomeness of Jesus if you're living on the run all the time. Anybody in here understand what I mean? How many of y'all feel like a hamster in a hamster wheel just going and going and going and going? <laughs> Where can I jump off? Right? Anybody here understand what I mean? When's the last time you stopped? And you got off that crazy cycle. saw and savored the greatness of Jesus the beauty of Jesus I'm going to give you these last two thoughts and we're going to pray you're like preacher you never finish your sermons (laughs) let me give you these last two thoughts loving Jesus will, will result in obedience to what he says. Now that's true. You say, why is it true? Because Jesus said it right here. He said, if you really love me, the true condition of your life is going to be reflective of obedience. You're going to do what I say. 
You're not going to balk at it. You're not going to fight against me. Jesus tells us four times in this passage that this love is of such nature that it results in keeping his commandments. In other words, doing his word. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. Verse 24, whoever doesn't love me doesn't and will not keep my commandments. It's pretty simple, isn't it? First thing to notice is that loving Jesus is not the same as keeping his commandments. But it must be said it precedes and gives rise to keeping the commandments. Loving Jesus will result in keeping his word. Do you do what you know to do already? Well, I just need to learn new truths, new truths, new truths. Boy, I hope you learn new truths. But you know what, gang? It's not the new truths that get me hung up. It's the truths I already know that I don't obey. You know what? Why is Jesus obligated to give us new truth? if we're not doing what we know right now. Are you doing what he says? Is it being fueled by your love for him? It is true that obedience is the fruit of that love. A.T. Robertson, the Greek scholar, said that it literally means if you keep on loving, it's present active subjunctive. If you keep on loving, in other words, you will keep, you will keep on keeping what I've told you to do. If you keep on loving Jesus, you will keep on doing what he says. Charles Spurgeon said, true love to Jesus always shows itself by obedience. All other love is only a thing of the lips and it reveals a hypocritical heart. In other words, Spurgeon is saying, don't tell me how much you love Jesus if you're not into obeying Jesus. You know how we'd say it here in Wayne County in 2018? Put your money where your mouth is. Right? Talk is... See, love without obedience to Christ is pretense. But obedience without love is drudgery. That's why I'm looking at some people that feel like that you got a ball and chain attached to your leg right now. Oh, this, oh, oh, I'm living for Jesus. No, you're not. You're living by legalism. You're living by guilt. You're living by man-made rules or a human-based, human-oriented spirituality. That's what you're doing. You're not living out of love for Christ. You're not obeying him because your heart's overflowing with, 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 with love. You're living a life and all you're doing is checking off a spiritual box on your to-do list. That's why it's a ball and chain for you. That's why you can miss church and it really ain't a big deal. I mean, uh, uh, that's why you can be in and out, hot and cold, hit and miss. You can be up and down like a yo-yo, back and forth. You, you, that's why you're, you, listen, because you're not being fueled by that hot, 
passionate love for Jesus that's fostered because you see and taste that he is good. I'm talking about a totally different, redeemed, regenerated way to look at life. Final statement. Loving Jesus brings with it great reward. It really does. Reward number one. Stay in the text with me. Look down at verse 21. He said, verse 21, that if you do these things, you shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. I'll love the one who's doing this. Verse 23, my Father will love him. Now stop right there. CP, I thought Jesus loved us, period. He does. And by the way, thank God that he does. I said, thank God that he does. He loves us, period. So what's he saying? Is he saying that I can do stuff that makes him love me more? (laughs) That's what it looks like at face value, right? But that's not what he's saying. Let me tell you something, gang. You can never do anything to make him love him more than you do. Make him love you more than he does right now. Neither can you do anything that will make him love you less than he does right now. So what is Jesus saying here? Here's what he's saying. That our sense of that love will be different. It, it, It means that we will experience his love on a new and higher plane. That's what that means. Now, husbands and wives, listen carefully. Whether you've been married six days or 60 years, listen, because you know this is true. Don't you know there's some times when you, your marriage is great and you feel close to your spouse and you know they love you, but you sense that. On a totally higher plane. You feel that oneness. You sense that oneness. More than at other times. Isn't that true? Say amen if you know that's true. Some of you men afraid of amen that one, but you know, right? You know that's true. You know that's right. Don't you know in the Christian life that it's easy sometimes to lose sight of how rich his love is for us. And what he's saying is, if you love me like this, and you love me like this, and you're doing what I tell you to do, that's going to put your spiritual life and your capacity to experience and appreciate my love on a whole nother plane. You see what he's saying here? You want to experience that? Then you have a heart loves Jesus that's demonstrating that love through obedience but then he said there's a second reward and that is not only will we experience his love on a new and higher plane but we will experience his presence in a very real way he says verse 21 I will manifest myself to him verse 23 we That's my Father and I and the Holy Spirit, by the way, that he'll elaborate on next Sunday. We will come unto him and we'll make our abode with him. 
The word abode is a very interesting word, and it literally means home. It means that Jesus will come and make his home with us. And here's what he's saying. You'll get heaven on earth before you even go to heaven. Because heaven is wherever God is. Heaven is really the manifestation of God himself. And that can happen and will happen on this earth when he manifests himself to us. When we open up our spiritual life to this experience, when you decide, I'm going to choose to love Jesus this way, then you step into another realm of your spiritual life that you've never experienced before. And I promise you, friends, once you taste that, you'll never want to go back to anything different. A.T. Robertson said the unseen and risen Christ will be a real and spiritual presence to the obedient and loving believer. (laughs) Now that's good. Now let me say this. I didn't say the sermon was good. I said that truth was good. That truth is good. But the question is, I can stand up here and we can talk about it and sing about it and preach about it and you can read about it and listen to it all day long but until you make that choice here's where it begins you're going to pause and you're going to take time and you're going to taste and see that the Lord is good that's the baseline that's where we live right that's the battleground that's ground zero and that's what we need And that's where it starts. So here's my challenge today. Here's my question. Will you choose, because it is a choice, by the way. Remember, if, it's optional. If you love me, will you make that choice this morning?